continuing today our uh, Lenten visual journey. Uh, today uh, our topic is authority, but I want to go back and thank you all. Last week I asked you all to participate in our social media uh, part of this, which is hashtag Thousand Words Lent. Uh, and to uh, provide some pictures, we were focusing on wonder and wild, and now we're adding authority to that. And I think we got some examples uh, of some of the things that people uh, sent in and have put in on the hashtags in Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, things that, that for them were wild and wonderful. Do we have more? Is that, there we go. That's beautiful. Wonder. I love it. And these are all just beautiful images uh, that kind of help to strengthen and encourage and inspire us in our Lenten journey. So I want to encourage you uh, to this week, if you have or have not yet, but to, uh, to post some pictures on hashtag Thousand Words Lent. You can do it on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. You can go and, and something that, that creates in you a sense of wild or wonder or today this week we'll be looking for pictures about authority. So what are the images that, that kind of shape your understanding of authority and allow what others share on social media to also bless you and inspire you during this Lenten journey together. So I want to begin today by uh, uh, telling you a story, probably apocryphal, who knows, about legendary uh, manager of the New York Yankees named Billy Martin. Some people might remember Billy Martin. And uh, Billy Martin supposedly had a friend who had a big ranch here in Texas. And occasionally, Billy would come to Texas to go hunting with his friend. Well, on one such trip, he invited Hall of Fame uh, ball player Mickey Mantle to accompany him. So Billy Martin and Mickey Mantle show up to this guy's ranch one morning, and, and Billy says, just sit in the truck, I'll go get my friend, and, and we'll uh, get this thing started. And so Billy Martin goes up to the house, knocks on the door, and discovers that his friend is very ill uh, and cannot go hunting with him that day. But he says, but you know, you guys go ahead and have fun. Just go out there and, and, uh, and have a good time. But let me ask you a favor. Before you do that, I have been ill for several weeks now, and I've got this old mule and he has fallen and broken his leg, and I have not been able to tend to him, and I, I fear that he's beyond saving at this point. Before you go, honey, would you put him down for me? And Billy said, well, well, sure, I'll do that for you. And so he turns around, and as he's walking back to the truck, he decides to have a little fun with Mickey Mantle. And so he starts to pretend like he's really angry, and he's fussing and cussing, and, and Mickey Mantle says, well, what's going on? He says, well, that old cootie, he, he said we can't hunt. He can't go with us, and he doesn't want us on our property, and we came all this way to hunt, and I can't believe he didn't tell Zeta. I'm going to teach him a lesson, and he grabs his gun, and he heads for the barn. And Mickey Mantle's going, what are you doing? What are you doing? And Billy says, I'm going to teach him a lesson. I'm going to shoot his mule. And so he goes in there, and he shoots the mule, and then as he's walking back to the truck, he sees Mickey Mantle running back across the field with his gun. He said, Mickey, what'd you do? And he said, well, I thought we'd teach him a good lesson. I killed two of his cows. <laughs> Our scripture lesson today is one of those moments where Jesus is loaded for bear. Jesus is fussing and cussing as he goes into the temple. He is so upset with the leaders of the temple with the Pharisees, with those people who are profiteering off of other people's sincere, pious faith. And Jesus will have none of that. 
Now it's interesting in our scripture reading that comes from the second chapter of John, this is a familiar story of Jesus cleansing the temple, but I want to point out in the three synoptic gospels, this event occurs during the last week of Jesus' life, during Holy Week as we refer to it. But in John's gospel, it starts out the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. For John, this is one of those, those significant moments in the life and ministry of Jesus that he wants to make sure we don't miss. I invite you to read with me uh, in the Gospel according to John, the second chapter, beginning with the 13th verse. Let us listen for God's word to us. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get out of here! Stop turning my father's house into a market! His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Well, the Jews then responded to Jesus, What sign can you show us? to prove your authority to do all this. And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, the disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. My friends, the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. You always bless us, always bless us in the reading and the hearing of your sacred word. May it find its home in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would guide my thoughts, remove from my lips any words but your own, that with faithfulness and with integrity I might proclaim the wonderful good news of your redeeming love. Amen. So they took a survey, and they asked people, what would you do if your doctor told you you only had six months to live? Well, one guy said, I would sell everything I have and I would travel the world and start checking things off my bucket list. Another person said that she would move to California to spend her remaining days with her children and her grandchildren. Another guy said, I'd get a second opinion. <laughs> Sometimes it's good to challenge authority. We do it all the time. In fact, for people brought up in the era of Vietnam and Watergate, questioning authority is second nature to us. And so it's no surprise that, that baby boomers and millennials like to question Jesus and their religious faith. And they question the church and our theology. But the reality is people have been doing this for centuries. It's nothing new. In fact, Jesus experienced this over and over and over again 
during his ministry. When he taught in the synagogue, they asked, by what authority do you speak these words? When he healed the blind man, by what authority do you heal this man? When he cleans out the temple, by what authority do you do these actions? Jesus was constantly under pressure to prove his authority for his words, for his deeds, in fact, for his very being. By what authority are you here? Now, authority is an interesting um, uh, phenomenon, and a lot of business gurus have gotten rich writing books about authority, comparing authority with power, with influence, and all these sorts of things. And, and some talk about, you know, the sources of authority. Some talk about how authority comes from our position, our role, you know, the, the title on the door that says president or CEO or other code language for boss. Uh, sometimes authority comes through competence, particular skills you have that other people don't share, or expertise, knowledge, the things you know that others don't know. Sometimes authority comes with a role and it is given to you because of that role that you play. Sometimes authority is invested in people because of their personal charm or charisma. There's all sorts of ways that, that authority is invested in people. But Jackson Carroll wrote a book called As One with Authority in which he explores the authority of Jesus. And in one point in this book, he says that the source of Jesus' authority was not really expertise or competence or charisma or position or who he knew. That for Jesus, the source of authority was relational. And indeed, all true authority is relational. For example, there was a second lieutenant who was walking across base and he wanted to buy a Coke, but he hadn't changed. And so he recognized a private and said, hey, private, do you have change for a Coke that I could borrow? And the private responded, yeah, sure, I think so. Let me, let me check. And then the, the second lieutenant kind of snapped and said, private, that is no way to address a superior officer. And the private snapped to attention. He said, let's try this again. Private, do you have change for the Coke machine? To which the private smartly saluted and said, no, sir. <laughs> Authority is always relational. For Jesus, it stemmed on the polarities of his relationship with God, his heavenly Father, and with the people of Palestine. And the authority flowed because of the connection that Jesus had with God the Father and the people of God. When we come together in worship and when we read scriptures, we tend to focus on the exciting passages, the action passages. We love the car chase, don't we? But there's a lot in scripture that happens between the big events. And often those transitional moments, what we find is Jesus going away from the crowds. 
We find Jesus going to the garden, Jesus going up the mountain, Jesus going to the lakeside. How often does Jesus say to his disciples, hey guys, you go on ahead, I'll catch up. I need some alone time. And we find Jesus in constant prayer, spending time with his heavenly Father, developing, strengthening, exploring that relationship that he had uniquely with God. And it is through that relationship and through that power of that relationship that Jesus is then able to come back into the crowd, back into the towns, back into the world, and speak with truth and authority that made people uh, wonder, how does anyone speak like this? It's amazing. They had never heard anyone speak as one with authority. And it was because of that relationship with God and the way he nurtured that and cherished that and spent time with God that he had the power, the influence, the position, the ability to speak and to heal and to feed and to proclaim the kingdom of God. But equally as important was his connection to the people. This is the thing that I think really got Jesus in trouble. Because Jesus was not a respecter of persons and positions. Jesus had friends who were both rich and poor. Jesus associated with high society and with low society. It didn't matter where you were on the socio-political religious spectrum, Jesus wanted to be your friend. Jesus was there to have a relationship with you. So whether you were a woman or a leper, whether you were a member of the court or a member of the Sanhedrin, no matter what your place, no matter what your gender, no matter who you were, Jesus was there to be your friend. And it was Jesus' connection with the people that allowed him to exercise the authority that flowed from God to him. This past weekend, many in this country have been observing, remembering, celebrating the march across the Selma Bridge. And what a pivotal moment that was in the civil rights movement. And in changing not only attitudes and hearts, but laws in this country. I think Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is a wonderful example of someone who understood Jesus' source of authority. Martin Luther King Jr. himself had a relationship with God that strengthened and empowered him to live out that authority with the people, both the people who admired and followed him and those who opposed him. And it was this polarity of relationship that he had with God and with the people that empowered his ministry. Sometimes we forget that as those men and women and children were marching across that bridge in Selma, moments before they were hit with the water cannons, beaten with the batons, chewed up by the dogs. Moments before all that took place, as they were marching across that bridge, they were singing hymns. They were singing the great hymns of the church. And it was their faith, it was their connection to God the Father that gave them the courage 
and the strength and the authority to confront the powers that sought to suppress them and make them something less than human. Today, many people question, where is the authority of the church in the world today? My friends, it is in the same place. The authority of the church will only be reestablished as we reconnect with God, the source of all true authority, and as we reconnect with the world around us. We have to get out of our cocoon. We have to expand our circles of influence and interaction. Our friends cannot just be the people in the pews next to us. We have to be connected in the world. And as we reaffirm and strengthen our connections to God and our connections to the people in the world, then, my friends, I guarantee we will see real authority, real power, real transformation in this world and in individual lives. May it be so, Lord. May it be so. Amen.